This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 130 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we begin a brand new chapter, a new phase of Fireside, as we delve into the neighboring Celtic world of Welsh mythology. This is the first part of the first branch of the Mabinogion. This is the story of Pulch, Prince of David. But before we begin that... I want to give a very big welcome to any new listeners and indeed any returning ones. Thank you so much for your new or recent support, please, uh, or ongoing support at that. Please do follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard if you have not done so already and are on it. Uh, Please do email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. And if you really want to support the podcast and join the intimate community of Fireside supporters, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com by joining Headstuff Plus, where you can gain bonus, you can gain access to bonus material for not just Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And coming up now, by the time this episode is released, I'm just dropping a brand new members-only exclusive episode of Fireside, where I discuss WB Yates and his the poetry of Yeats in relation to Irish mythology, the poetry of Yeats that is inspired, that has been inspired by his great influence on Irish mythology and bringing Irish mythology and folklore into the forefront as he did in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It was a lot of fun to do. It was immensely intimate because there's a, there's a select and intimate group of people who who support Fireside over on Headstuff Plus, and it was really... It was really fun and really interesting to to record an episode just for them. There also is an episode over on St. Patrick uh, that I recorded a few months ago as well. Uh, there's a few other bits as well, but uh, there's going to be more and more content, exclusive, Headstuff Plus exclusive content over there. So there has never been more of an incentive if you want to support Fireside and if you want to join the community. But that is... That is as hard a sell as I will go on that. Uh, it means the world to me that you're even listening to this podcast at all. If you're not in a position or don't want to support podca- uh, Fireside over on Headstuff Plus and you want to support in any way, just continue listening to it. Or maybe even tell a mate about it who you think might enjoy it. But the story for this week, I should say as well, I am still in hotel quarantine in Sydney in beautiful Darling Harbour. We were on day eight so I am on the uh, the home stretch now. This is probably the last episode of Fireside I'll record while here. 
To be honest, I thought I would get a lot more on top of things, but uh, it has been a very serious mental and physical strain uh, the the two weeks of, of hotel quarantine. Um, yeah, I'm definitely used to it now, or at least I'm in a good good routine and uh, staying industrious as I can, but it has been quite uh, an, an experience, I can tell you that to say the least. I won't go too much into it now, uh, but it's not of as much interest. But what is of interest is the new chapter that we're beginning today, which is that we're finally delving in to Welsh mythology, which is something I've wanted to do since the very beginning of the podcast, but I've had some sense of trepidation towards because, of course, I am not Welsh. But there are so many connections between Celtic mythologies and I like comparing like I loved when we did a bit of Norse mythology last year I love exploring other mythologies to compare them back to Irish mythology and as far as I'm concerned as a Celtic mythology is as relevant and has as much of a right to be on this podcast it just naturally takes more of a delicate hand from my point of view because I was not raised in any way speaking Welsh so I would want to be very careful with my pronunciations and all to the best of my ability However, I, I probably needn't, now I'm not going to say too confidently here, but what I will say from the first couple of stories that I've been adapting over the past couple of weeks, a Welsh as a language really seems to obey its own rules. Um, so I haven't had too much difficulty so far, and I'm fortunate that there is a Welshman in my cast in World of Musicals here, uh, and he was kind of the main incentive uh, that I... I finally took the plunge and decided that I was, would focus on the Mabinogion for, for the for the foreseeable. I should start uh, before we get down to the story itself. I should say the Mabinogion or the Mabinogi is a collection of eleven prose tales from originally Middle Welsh. They are they are just kind of a collecting and a collection of all of the major tales from Welsh from early from early to middle ages Welsh, basically. And so they explore varying different topics. There are dramatically different themes and tones. There are romances, comedy, tragedy. There's very little actually connecting them together. There are what's known as the four branches of the Mabinogi, which is uh, these four major stories of which today's story is the first part of the first branch. But... The four branches, the only thing that connects them is one character of Prideri, who we'll meet in a couple of episodes' time. But otherwise, there's very little connecting them. And the the bunching of all these stories together was quite a recent thing in the last couple of hundred, couple of hundred years. But I love that it is this solid text, because Irish mythology is so broad and so spread out, and there kind of isn't one gospel text and one gospel source. Whereas quite like Norse mythology with the poetic and the prose Edda, there are two main sources for the Mabinogi and they have been quite standardized to a degree because while they came from oral, very much from the oral tradition, much like so much of Irish mythology, uh, they are very much part of the literary tradition as well. They have very much standard literary adaptations and they have a beautiful polish and craft to them as stories as well and in very different ways to each other. So I'm very excited because among other things there are two tales of the Mabinogi that are two of the earliest surviving tales of King Arthur. King Arthur has his uh, his roots in Welsh mythology 
as the name Arthur Pendragon would would suggest. So that will come down the line. But first of all, we have the story of Pulk, Prince of David. And just beginning these stories, it immediately felt like the, we were at home. It immediately feels like a world we know with just a different coat of paint. And I find that immensely encouraging because that makes me feel like they are all connected, like that it is this monomyth and this one culture. And that I find very encouraging and like it feels like this is the right direction for Fireside to go. I hope you feel so too, but we'll get right down to the story now. This is the story. This is the first part of the first branch of the Mabinogion. This is the story of Polk, Prince of David, on Fireside. Polk, Prince of David. If you stand on the pier at the edge of Wicklow Town and look over the Irish Sea, on a clear day you can see the pencil-shade coastline of the nation of Wales. Though divided by an ocean and a language, these two Celtic nations share an affinity for music, poetry and storytelling. And the great epic collection of stories from this neighbour nation is known as the Mabinogion. And one of the ways that the Mabinogion is divided is into the four branches of the Mabinogi. And the first branch concerns Pulk, Prince of David. Pulk was ruler over the seven cantrefs of David, a cantref being a unit of division in Welsh, and David being the land in the southwest of Wales. One day, Pulk took it upon himself to go out hunting. He and his pack of dogs went to Glen Cook, where they heard the sound of another hunting party that had seemingly beaten them to it. Polk rode over a hill to where he saw a magnificent stag cornered by another pack of hunting dogs. The dogs did not seem to have a master, but that was not what was on Polk, Prince of David's mind. As he watched the hounds tear the stag to pieces, Polk looked at their fur. He had never seen the like of them before. They were of a brilliant, glossy white, like dogs sculpted and varnished. They had red spots and ears that diluted with the blood of the hunt. When the stag was no more, and no master could still be seen, Polk realized his own hounds had not eaten since they had left home. So, shamelessly, the Lord ordered his hounds to chase away the rival pack and feast on the spoils of the stag themselves. When the hounds had had their fill, Polk heard the sound of a hunting horn, loud and echoing across the valley. He heard the sound of the rival hounds once more, but this time their master was riding at the head of them. It was armor and a horse the likes of which Polk had never seen, the horse with a brilliant and long mane. The rider came right up to Polk and removed his helmet. Sir, said he, it is no respect for you I have this day. Well, sir, perhaps I am not worthy of respect due to your rank. Oh, without question I outrank you, but this is no matter of title. Well, sir, what harm is it that I have caused you? You chased away my own hounds who had killed that stag, so that yours could feed. I have never known such discourtesy. 
and although I will not be revenged on you, I'll bring shame on your household to the value of a hundred stags. Sir, I admit I have done you this wrong, but please, allow me to win back your friendship. How, pray tell, how will you do that? Well, according to your rank. My rank? I am a king. I am Arwen, king of Arnavin. Lord, tell me any way that I can redeem your friendship. The king of Arnavin paused to give this some thought. He had been wronged by Polk, prince of David, but he was impressed by his insistence on redeeming himself. Very well. There is one way you can win back my friendship, and quite easily. I am forever troubled by a rival lord of Arnavin named Afghan. If you can rid me of his oppression, I will consider our debt settled. Polk gulped and said, How will I do that? Very easily, said the King of Arnavin. I will put you in my guise and form, so that no courtier or soldier or even my own wife will recognize that you are not me. Live in luxury in my home, for a year from today I am next due to meet Afghan in battle at the ford. Go to face him in battle, and if you can strike him just one time, he will be defeated. But be warned, if you strike him a second time, he will be healed. Many times has my battle-induced rage got the better of me on that front. But Lord, what of my own kingdom of David? I will put myself in your form, and your own mother will not recognize that I am not you. We shall meet in a year at Glyncook and see how you have fared. So Pulch, Prince of David, was led by Arwen, King of Arnavin, across increasingly strange lands until they came at last to a castle bigger and more fortified than Pulch knew possible. The king wished him luck before disappearing from sight. Overwhelmed, but attempting to rise to the occasion, Pulk approached the castle. The castle guard saw him coming and lowered the drawbridge. Sure enough, he was given a royal welcome home. No one, not guards or servants or advisers, recognized that Pulk was not the king. His hunting gear was removed for him. He was bathed, and a banquet was prepared. Polk was a lord himself, but he had never been treated like this. These servants seemed to take great love and joy and pride in looking after him. It didn't seem like it was just because they had no choice due to their lowly rank. At the banquet, that is where Polk first laid eyes on the Queen of Arnavin. He was not yet married himself, and thought the queen was the most beautiful and noble woman he had ever seen. They talked at dinner and late into the night. When it was time for bed, Polk became bashful and kept all of his bedclothes on and slept facing the wall. He worried about offending the queen, as she would never know that Polk was not her own husband. But he could never, would never be so dishonorable. And this is how it went for an entire year. Polk would rise in the form of the King of Arnavin, eat, hunt, feast, and converse with the Queen. But he always kept his mind focused firmly on the task at hand. 
and a year to the day of meeting Arwen at Glyncook, Pulk, Prince of Dafet, was dressed in armour and rode out to meet Hafgan, King of Anovin, at the ford. It was agreed that the fight was between the two lords alone, and that no one else would interfere. Pulk remembered the king's advice. He dismounted from his horse, drew his sword, and charged into the splash of the river. They parried back and forth in the trudge of steel and water, before with a final cry Pulk landed a deadly blow. His rival, Hafgan, fell into the ford and said, Lord, what right have you to come and end my life today? I never armed you, but if you must, strike the final blow and end my misery. I will not, for I will soon regret it. Ask someone else to end your torment. Afghan knew this was the end. He called to his own men, Lord, I cannot serve you any longer. Carry me away to die in peace. And Pulch, in the form of the king, said, And when your lord is dead, ask yourselves, whom do you serve? The lord said, We have no king but Arwen of Anavin. The matter was settled. Peace had been restored, and Pulch, prince of David, had united the kingdoms of Anavin. The next day he rode back to Glencook and met the real King Arwen. He told him of his success in battle, and the king told him of the peace he had overseen in Dafet. They parted as friends, and their debt was settled. But it was only when the real Arwen returned to his home at Anovin that he realized the true extent of Pulk's nobility. The king reunited with his wife after not seeing her for an entire year. Of course, she did not know that. And as they lay in a hot, sweaty bed together later that night, the queen turned to her husband and said, Can I ask, why tonight? What do you mean? Well, we have not been together like that in over a year. What makes tonight so special? The king nearly broke down in tears. He told his wife everything. After he had finished, she said, In that case, it is truly an honourable man who has served in your stead. Back in David, Polk received a warmer welcome than he had ever known in all of his years of rule. It turned out that while in his guise, the king of Arnavin had ruled the cantrefs of David with firm and kind generosity. He had set a bar for Polk to live up to, and the prince of David did just that. In fact, the two nations of David and Arnavin became allies for a generation, and Polk, prince of David, was given a new name, Polk Pen Arnavin. To be continued. And that is the first part of the first branch of the Mabinogion, the story of Pulch, Prince of David, on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Nerve-wracking, man. It's nerve-wracking taking on something like that, this, that... I'd like, I would like to think I approach... 
all aspects of this podcast with the delicate hand, especially with the Irish language, which I don't speak fluently either. But yeah, there's something... I suppose it's uh, it's not unlike when I was adapting the Oscar Wilde fairy tales last year. It just feels like it's a different kind of literary tradition you're you're messing with, you know. And I can only just do to the best of my ability, like I do with every episode of this podcast, and just try and tell my versions of these stories. But I hope you can all see straight away what I mean when this seems to be very familiar territory. Like Anovan is essentially the Welsh Tirna Nog. It's the other world. It's the land of the Tua de Danan. It's um it it's this mystical place that lives in this kind of inter in between. It can be it can be road it can be road ridden to it can people can ride to it. And what I really like and I've kind of left it deliberately vague because it is quite like that in in all of the versions of these stories that I've found where Anovan very definitely is the other world, but people just ride there, you know, they come to and from it. And I like that blurred line an awful lot because it's sometimes like that in Irish mythology. It's sometimes not as well. Sometimes it's this impenetrable place, this unreachable land. And then more often than not, characters just freely ride to and from between it. You just ride to Tirnanog. But there is a lot of description of Anovan as being this this land of eternal youth, you know, uh, this this fairy world, these like where these higher, different kind of beings live, and what's exciting for me adapting these stories is my two. I have two main sources. Uh, the first of which is the Oxford World Classics uh, Mabinogion, um, which was the version I could get on uh, the Kindle because. I'm traveling at the moment, um, so it's the Kindle app is my my main source, uh, but also Audible as well. There is a Naxos uh, Complete Classics Unabridged version read by an actor called Mark Addis, and he's been immensely helpful with the pronunciations as well. So I'm getting two different but very similar adaptations of these stories, which is always it always is always quite interesting it's interesting when you read dramatically different versions of these stories and then it's also interesting when they're almost identical where it's just like a word change or two because that tells you that the welsh versions of these texts are considered quite gospel that people are very careful when translating and adapting these stories um, and that gives me, in my head, it really hammers the stories in there because, like I frequently say, when I feel, I feel my adaptations of these stories work the best for me when I read versions of them a couple of times and then just kind of go off my own. I don't like it when I have to constantly check back uh, see like oh what happened here or have I missed something or what was the name of this place that just interrupts the sl- the the flow of the adaptation and it loses the sense of oral narrative that I try and keep in the adaptations because of course they're as I frequently say they're always this first draft essentially which I think keeps a, an oral nature to it but of course I would like months with adapting these stories but just with the nature the relentless nature of having to write an episode of these every week you have to keep it loose to a degree and obviously because i'm dealing with welsh 
place names and Welsh characters. A lot of them I have to check back on. But I actually found, particularly with the story I adapted for next week, which is Rhiannon, uh, that I just was reading it once and listening to it once. So, of course, I've, I've, I've read and listened to them previously as well, but just for each week when I'm adapting the next story, that would be my ideal, would be to, like, read, read, listen, and adapt. And then I feel like it is my... I feel the strength, I feel the weight of the story when the beats so clearly go in there. You really feel the strength and the watertight nature of these tales that have been refined and adapted and written and told for generations and preserved so well. You can feel the weight of those. The other side of that is then, of course, you know, why do I need to adapt them? Why don't you just go and read the Oxford World Classics version or the the Naxos uh, on a bridge? And I think you should. I think you should go and read them and listen to those especially if you uh, have an Audible account, because it is great, obviously, hearing it in the Welsh accent. But all I can do is talk about these through a lens of Ireland and through a lens of Celtic mythology and to see the similarities and the differences between this mythology and my own. And with an aim, because you can really then see the strengths and the weaknesses and difference. Like, this is kind of a, a lot more preserved and watertight, like, body of texts than the the hodgepodge that is the fragments that are remaining of Irish mythology. And I just feel the more mythologies I explore, especially neighboring ones such as this, the stronger the the revisits and the explorations of Irish mythology will be. And because we're all on this journey together, like you and me, the listener, like this is episode 130, and I certainly hope there are people out there who have been listening to since the beginning and who may have come and gone, but those who are still here, we've gone on quite a hell of a journey so far. You know, all through the four cycles and then dipping into Norse mythology, into Oscar Wilde stories, going back in, meeting characters like Fintan McBokra, going into like this pre-mythology. It feels like we've earned the right to be in a place like this and adapt this body of texts. Um, a body of text that is so different in so many ways, but then ultimately is so similar that that really underlines how neighboring the nations of Ireland and Wales are, because there's a huge amount of talk of Scotland in so many Irish folk tales and and folklore, and it's the same in traditional and folk music. You know, so many of the the folk songs that are so associated with Ireland or Scottish in, a, a, origin, in their original form. Wild Mountain Time is the ultimate example of that. But Welsh is not really discussed at all to a degree in Ireland. And I feel this, the slightest affinity with it for two reasons. Number one, because of St. Patrick. St. Patrick very notoriously was Welsh in origin, and I, I've played around with that, doing my Welsh accent for St. Patrick whenever he's appeared. But also because you can see Wales from my hometown, and that's why I wanted to start it 
with it is that Wales has always been this place so close and over there, uh, just over the sea that you could see so clearly. And like, there are basically places in, I can see two things from where I live in Wicklow. I can see up the coastline going up the east coast of Ireland and then I can see this Welsh coastline over beyond. So the fact that you can with the naked eye see the coastline of Wales from the east coast of Ireland shows you just how narrow the Irish Sea really is. And as we will see in the coming stories, we will now get to see the perspective of Ireland from the perspective of Wales. So of these Welsh characters and these Welsh stories who obviously are as close to Ireland as Ireland is to them and they have Irish invaders coming over, Irish uh, kings coming over. The The second branch of the Maivanagi is particularly focused on, on Irish characters coming over and it's going to be very interesting to be adapting Welsh tales with a Welsh perspective of the Irish being an Irish person adapting the Welsh experience of the Irish. It's that kind of cyclical head melt and head wreck that uh, has got me really reinvigorated again um, because I'm going on this big journey now all around Australia for the next and New Zealand for the next six months and while World of Musicals as a show seem can seem so at odds with with this podcast in a way that Celtic Nights didn't. You know, it felt really natural doing Celtic Nights, doing an Irish music show at the same time as as doing an Irish an Irish folklore and mythology podcast. But at the same time, World of Musicals also does feel like you're a traveling bard, like you're a troubadour. I'm literally traveling around, sleeping in a different place every night, singing for my supper, quite literally. So keeping that in mind really makes it feel stimulating again. But I think the key to that, to keeping up the the standard and to kind of try and keep, as I never want this podcast to stagnate. I mean, if it ever stagnates or if it's ever getting worse, because I know it'll go up and down in listenership and all. We actually just hit 300,000 listens on Audioboom, which is fantastic. Thank you so much to all of you for listening once, twice, who've been listening to the beginning, all of you. That's that's incredible. Like, And I'm so, so super proud of that. But for me to keep developing and to keep better, I'm really looking forward to having the focus because one of the anxieties of Farsid is constantly, it's like I'm placing the tracks in front of me. It's the it's the Wallace and Gromit image of Wallace of Gromit putting down the train tracks as he's on the train, and that can feel like what Farsight is a lot of the time. And I like that. I love that nature of it. You're constantly searching and and researching and trying to find and adapt. But I'm excited in a, in a similar way that I was probably, probably the closest to this is adapting to Thawne when I just focused on doing that for the, the number of weeks. Um, I'm looking forward to having this focus for the next few months because I have this other focus of the tour. It's, it's really, it's going to be really good and I feel like I can make, I can do this properly and give it the time and effort it deserves and it can be really beneficial to the podcast and really beneficial to me as a storyteller. Then again, that's if you all enjoy this. I mean, this is our podcast together and this is a big undertaking and one that feels right and 
feels entertaining and I hope you all do enjoy it. But if it isn't working, if my if my Welsh accents and my Welsh pronunciations are so offensively bad and I'm stepping on all the wrong toes, we will figure out something else. But I don't think that will be the case and I hope it won't either. Um, because, yeah, like, I won't just keep harping on about it, but especially after having done the first episode now, after, like, I've been putting off recording it all day because once I start speaking those Welsh words, I'm actually going for it. But... I've had a great time, and I hope you have too, and I look forward to hearing your feedback, as always, because you can follow me over on Instagram, Fireside Bar, that's the best place to message me, email me at thefiresidebar at gmail.com, um, I'm particularly interested to know, because I don't think I've spoken to too many Welsh people who actually listen to Fireside, I've spoken to a number of Scottish people, and then obviously people from all over the world, but uh, I would be very interested to hear from any Welsh, Welshmen, Welsh women particularly. Uh, but I will wrap things up with that. So yeah, follow me over on Instagram, email me, uh, support Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com for as little as five euro a month, or you can pay more if you want. There is a brand new episode on Yeats poetry uh, for you to listen to if you subscribe. That'll be there for you, ready and waiting as well as a few other bits and plenty more to come. Thanks so much to Alan, Paddy and Connor, everyone over at Headstuff. I will see you next week where we have the story of Rhiannon. Polk, Prince of David, is on his throne, but now he needs a wife. And where will he find one? And what a wife he will find. That's all to come. You'll see me all. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.